Hi, it's Gary here. Here's what you need to know about today's special episodes. Back in March 2022, I launched this podcast with a powerful conversation with a friend and coaching client, actor Samuel Horton. That episode, exploring the sometimes conflicting paths to happiness or to success, was a big hit, and so many people have told me how much it helped them in their own journeys. Now I've invited Sam back to hear about what happened next. But before we dive into the today, let's listen to a short extract from that original episode. I think if memory serves, we landed on this question and then I went away and I kind of sat with it. We then proceeded to have at least two or three sessions where we'd come back each time and I hadn't got any further with it. And we'd kind of hash it out for an hour. And again, this is why I was in Korea and because of time differences, I remember I would come back from a show and we'd be doing it at something like 11 p.m. my time and I would be tired and I was like, Why? but actually, you know, hindsight being a lovely thing, that, that was just a manifestation of years and years of uncertainty and anxiety kind of building up. And all of a sudden I was confronted with this decision that I knew I had to make because you weren't going to let me not. And who are you wrestling with? Myself. Ah, uh, just myself? No. Myself and if I say society, that makes me sound like I, I think I'm a revolutionary. But I think, I think it's important to acknowledge your journey through life and expectations that have been placed on you from those around you as you've journeyed through, if that makes sense. After all of that struggle over time, through hmm. sessions we had together, through the thinking that you were doing, what was the moment where you found that breakthrough point of clarity? What triggered the unlock moment? The only thing I can put it down to is that I had sat with it long enough. So what have you learned about yourself from going through this journey, from having these experiences? I've learned I'm even more stubborn than I ever realized. Um, but, but actually in that, we said early on in our work together, this isn't about changing anything about you. It's, it's just about, is it even improving? I don't know. I think it's just unlock, like unlocking other ways of thinking. If you then choose to make changes based on that, then that's completely your decision. And I have, and I will continue to, and that's great. You know, I don't think my stubbornness was, was ever anything that needed to change. It was just something, it's, it's actually kind of served me very well in this situation because it, it, led, me, it led me to a terrific realization. Tell me about that sense of needing to wait until you were there. Oh, infuriating. Like I said, I was so annoyed. And like, I think, again, talking about society's expectations, we're so, everything is instant to us. And we're conditioned to believe that things should come very quickly to you. And if they don't, then they're not worth it. Absolute rubbish. The most valuable things that come to you will take time. So sit in the uneasiness, sit in, sit in the frustrations, sit in the anxiety, because what you get at the end of it will be better for you. I'd say look at the situations you're in that aren't what you want them to be. Now, for me, that's that, that aren't making me happy. For other people, be that they aren't bringing them success or they aren't making enough money or they're having a negative impact on them or anything like that. Look at those situations that aren't working for you for whatever reason. Try and identify what it is about those situations. But in, just take that first step and try and identify what's not working, why is it not working, how do we make this better? And as we said, sometimes the best thing to do is to bring it down to a simple level. Don't overcomplicate it. Just start and kind of bit by bit, it should just start to fall into place. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their Unlock Moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, 
how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. And what a special episode. It's our first returner and a chance to welcome back my very first guest on the podcast, the hugely talented and all-round master of merriment, Samuel Horton. I can't tell you how many people from all walks of life have reached out to tell me that they were touched by his story and inspired by the powerful choice he made. His was the unlock moment that defined the term for me, so I'm very much in his debt. We'd been working together in coaching for a while, and we're going back to March 2022, when Sam recorded an episode I called Choosing Happiness. In the two years since we recorded that episode one and heard about Sam's fundamental unlock moment of remarkable clarity, he's been on a quite extraordinary journey. I'll let Sam introduce himself in a minute, but I wanted to share something he wrote to me about how he sees his life goals. He lives life in the hope that he will be able to leave people smiling a little more broadly, thinking a little more clearly, and maybe feeling a little more deeply than when he first arrived. Let's hear more about the unlock moment that sparked this all and catch up with the what happened next. Sam Horton, it's my huge pleasure to welcome you back to the unlock moment. Thank you for having me. This is emotional. I might cry, but it's fine because we're only on a podcast and no one can see me. It's all good. (laughs) It's only people in 100 countries around the world now that are listening. When we started off, we had no listeners at all because we're episode one. So uh, it's so great to have you back. And I'm so grateful you know, to you for taking a chance on this project that wasn't a project at all. Uh, and I think we had a conversation one day and I went, I think I'm thinking about doing a podcast. Do you want to come on? And you like an idiot said yes. <laughs> and I look back to that episode and we were good. We were good we're for great. an episode one. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. We're always good. <laughs> well, that, that is really good. Um, so before we get into the what happened next story, because I don't want to give it all away right at the start, tell my listeners something of who you were and where you were around two years ago when we first recorded episode one of the Unlock Moment podcast. Three years sounds like a long time. Two years ago, I remember it quite specifically. I was sitting on the floor in my tour digs in Aberdeen. We had a lovely little flat really close to the theatre. I was on tour with the first UK tour of School of Rock the Musical. That show has now been a part of my career and my life for quite a while. I did it in Korea, and then I got the UK tour kind of fortunately straight out of covid i was really i was really lucky that that literally landed in my lap and i won't expect it ever to happen again i was having a lovely time i was i was in the thick of that tour we had another few months to go and we were just we were just rocking around the country i didn't really have much of a capacity to think of much else i was i was training for the marathon i was somewhat looking towards what i was going to do after the tour but it was still a little early to say i was and still am in a wonderful relationship. And we got to we got to chat it through. We chatted through that unluck moment. And it's interesting because I think back over the two years before that time, give or take was the period of time that we were working together in in coaching. And that already was a very significant change for you because I remember when we first met, there's definitely that sense for me of um, you not being quite sure which path to take lots of sort of fog around of lots of demands on you lots of opinions around you you know in the acting world i know it's it's a space where it's quite difficult to predict what's going to happen next you don't know which job you're going to get you don't know where that's going to take you in the uk internationally and even you know you're talking about school of rock that was the beginnings of getting on the foothills of something quite significant when we first met we first met, you were in a pub theatre yeah. in Walthamstow in darkest East London. Yeah. And, you know, from there to the touring production of School of Rock is already a really big shift. That was huge. That was that, hmm. yeah, that trajectory I look back on with great pride. And actually, where I am at the moment, which we will get onto, dear listener, um, it's given me a lot of opportunity to look back and reflect. And actually, uh, you know, on paper... On paper, it's been an upward trajectory, and I kind of hate that term because actually I, I am grateful for all the jobs that have come my way. I'm grateful for the job that I'm in at the moment. I'm grateful for the jobs that will continue to come my way. They were all kind of built, but definitely, you know, I, I, can, I can see progress. I can see um, 
reaching platforms and destinations that I wanted to without, like I say, kind of without wanting to think about it being one solid climb up a mountain. And I certainly don't think I've reached the top. I don't think I'm done. Yeah, I can. I can quite happily see a nice bit of progress. <laughs> and I, I've stood on some quite significant stages now, and I've told a little bit of your story uh, about success versus happiness and that fundamental choice. And that choice resonates with so many people that I work with in coaching, that I talk with when I'm doing keynotes and workshops and so on. When you look back to that big choice that we were talking about for a long time and is really the foundation of your unlock moment, what do you remember of do I pursue success or do I pursue happiness? How would you describe that in your words? I remember the struggle. I remember, I remember feeling a lot of angst. I remember, and I said this, I, dear listener, I listened to the, um, the, previous, the previous episode in preparation for today. And I remember the word being furious with you came up several times. I stick by that. You were getting on my nerves in a wonderful way, in a wonderful, caring way. I also think it's important that everyone understands that me and Gary had known each other for a long time before we did the coaching together. So it gave us a freedom of me shouting down Zoom at him. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a struggle. It wasn't easy. And I would, I would be doing everyone in this context, a disservice to pretend it was anything other than that. But the peace and liberation that came when that moment landed is indescribable and has, has continued. And that was years ago now. Mm-hmm. So the fact that kind of I, I've been able to navigate alongside that decision still, I think, I think speaks volumes. There's something you say there that I think is really useful to drop on, actually, which is coaching and figuring out the future and changing yourself and changing your path is hard. When it works, it's hard. If it's not hard, it's not working. Yeah. Because if it were easy, you've done it already. Yeah. And often now when I'm working with people, talking to people, you know, whether they're coaching with me or other people, and they say, I just find it really difficult. I find it really frustrating. I find that, you know, sometimes the person that I'm talking to being held accountable for things, or sometimes they'll say, I don't care if you do it or not. It's not up to me. It's really challenging, yeah. actually. And I think what you say there to me is, that's why it worked. Precisely because when you look back and you think it was that hard. Yeah. Because, you know, you were trying to do something, you know, you, you were not new to the acting world at that time. And you, you had been treading, you know, a tough path for a long time. And at some point you decided that you wanted to pivot your mindset about how you're approaching it. And what we'll hear about today is how that pivot has fueled a lot of changes. But it's hard. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I'm not going to echo everything I said in the last episode, but I listened to it and I say some good stuff in that episode. So I will bring it up. But I, I mentioned about it's just not how we're conditioned by society anymore. We're conditioned that everything should come easy and naturally and quickly. And the fact is, the worth it things don't. And I think it's important to remember that. One of the things, you know, I'm, I'm now often talking to people on this podcast about their unlocked moments of remarkable clarity. And often when we're talking about it in this podcast, it's not a new thing to them because it's often something that happened to them some years ago, often many years ago. But often in the podcast conversation is the first time they're really thinking about it in this new light of it is a lens on purpose. And that's something that I've learned since our conversation. The more and more people I've talked to, the more I've realized that people know a thing that they didn't know before that moment. And asking them what that thing they know is, is a really powerful question. And what comes from that is intentional choices. And when I've talked to people about your story, and I've said, there were moments when there was a fork in the road, and the path to the left was a path that looked like to be most successful follow this path. And the path to the right was to be the happiest you can be, follow this path. One of the questions that people have asked me often is, practically, what did Sam do differently as a result of saying, I want to intentionally choose the happiness path? What are some examples of real choices that you made along the way to pursue happiness? 
Oh, that's a tricky one. The best way to describe it is, is, is a change in mindset, is a change in approach. And is, you know, when things have landed on the table and the things I've decided to kind of go after, I don't just mean professionally, I mean, I mean in my personal life as well. It has come down to the choice of, is this making me happy? Will this make me happy? The best example I can give in terms of my personal life was I, and again, I touched on this in the last episode, I had, at the end of our training, I had very much decided maybe relationships weren't for me. Maybe I I just wanted to focus on my own happiness. <laughs> Classically, not that long after we finished um, our work together, I met a lovely guy. We are still together. He still makes me incredibly happy. And I hope I make him incredibly happy. And that's been three years now from the guy that hadn't had a long-term relationship, me, I'm talking about, um, and didn't think he ever wanted one because my lovely boyfriend makes me incredibly, incredibly happy. But that is a choice every day. We turn up for each other because we make each other happy. There's an example. I think there have been some friendships, some situations that I found myself in where particularly over the past couple of years, I've maybe outgrown it or maybe it's not serving my happiness. Some of that's been really tough to navigate, particularly one this year, which I won't get into. But it was a deep-rooted family connection that had been in my life since I was born. I kind of, I don't want to say too much about it because it's still, it's still a bit in the, in the air. It's not completely resolved. We haven't completely landed. But I've been able to walk away from that with my head held high and kind of understanding that in this change in mindset, naturally not, I'm, I'm not going to, not everything is going to continue with me. It's a bit like, you know, if if you if you change size, not all your clothes are still going to fit you, and that's okay to kind of put some of them down and give them to someone who needs them or walk away. Yeah, that's a really nice analogy, and I think it plays to something that again I I see a lot more now that I I talk to people about unlock moments. I talk to people about finding clarity where before they had none, and that is that often the first clarity people find is what it isn't before they find what it is. So people think about, in this case, what would I do differently if I were intentionally choosing happiness? Sometimes the things that are the clearest, the fastest, are what are the things that I'm choosing not to do? What are the things I'm choosing not to pursue? What are the things that I'm feeling okay about letting go of? I I worked with somebody years and years ago where they had been pursuing a particular career path for years. And they had been applying for a a route into that career path every year. The opportunity was there to apply every year. And I think for five years they'd applied and for five years they'd been rejected. And I remember the moment, this was well before I started coaching, this was well before the unlocked moment existed as a thing. I remember the moment when they went, I don't have to keep pursuing that if I don't want to, because it, I do think that I would enjoy doing it, but I don't think it's the only thing that I would enjoy doing in life. Yeah. And it was that I, I have permission to let go of that particular path. And I look at that now and I think, you know, actually, that was an unlocked moment. Yeah. In that moment, I, rem- I remember where we were sitting, having that conversation like it was yesterday. And this is, this is many years ago. Do you feel like that you, you can... You can Think of things like say, in a in a work context. Do you think of things that you've let go of now that were harder to let go of before? Yeah, definitely. Weirdly enough, letting go of expectations of success and what that looks like, because success is no longer the thing that I'm chasing. What has kind of oddly happened is in doing that, success in the eyes of the industry has come. Uh, but I think. I think it's because I wasn't chasing it because it wasn't it wasn't the sole aim that kind of liberated me to go into in this instance auditions. I think this is a quite a quite nice segue into into what we'll talk about. Um I went into each audition for this job I'm currently doing. Of course wanting the job but also being like this is great material. This is material I've loved for a really long time. This is material that the world knows. I get to do this for in, in the latter stages, I was in there for half an hour easily with the people that know this material the best. So I was like, great, let's learn. Let's find, let, let's, let's do this. Let's perform it. Let's belt my 
face off on a West End stage. You know, let's let's just enjoy everything that comes with this experience without being geared towards the outcome. Go on then. What happened next? <laughs> the outcome, dear listener, was I um, made my West End debut. Now, last year, we are recording just on the 2nd of January, 2024. Um, but yes, so last February now, I was called in for the Phantom of the Opera. And they kept on calling me in. And six rounds later, I got a call from my agent, which felt very long, but was very, very short, in which she told me I was making my West End debut and I cried down the phone at her for another three minutes. And that's been, that's been my year. That's been my life for the past however many months it is now. What was the moment in that journey? Was there a moment in that journey where you thought you had a shot? Probably from the first audition, the fact that they called me in was kind of, you know, the door was open. And I definitely remember there was a feeling I was like, I'm going to rise to this occasion. This might not work out. It might, it might not land. And that's okay. However, I hadn't been seen for a Western show in a while. I hadn't been seen by that casting team in a while. And I had changed a lot as a person since they had last seen me. So I was very much aware that this was my opportunity to show them who I am now and to give them a true sense of who I am now as a performer and as a person. Then it's up to them to decide if I'm useful in Phantom, if I may be useful in a different show. There's, there's so much, and I've learned this from my work on the other side of the desk as well in talent management, there's so much that is not within my control as the performer. It depends on who's leaving, which contracts are available, who else is going in, you know so many other things and it's not my job to control those what my job was with that audition was to go in and to rise to the occasion and so i i grabbed it with both hands i remember i had very little money but i still went and got i had a beard at the time and i made sure it looked really sharp i power dressed i kind of had my suit trousers on and like you know i was really i i went for it I delayed moving in with my boyfriend for six weeks whilst I went through that audition process because I was like, I love you. That's not what I need to distract me from this. I need to give this opportunity the space and the time to make sure I'm doing my best. Yeah, I grabbed it with both hands and I ran. And they still haven't caught me. (laughs) Bring us into the room of a final audition for Phantom of the Opera. So it was on stage at His Majesty's Theatre, but you're facing upstage. So you're facing to the back wall. The audience was behind me. And actually they had, they had the, the, um, they call it an iron. It is literally an iron curtain that comes in to block noise when they're doing scene changes and that kind of stuff in the interval. That's, that's when that comes in. So the iron was in behind me. We were in the holding area, which was the circle bar. If any of you have been to His Majesty's Theatre, they were seeing me for two tracks when we talk about tracks that's like a series of roles it's an ensemble an ensemble role that is comprised of several different moments in several different scenes there was about five or six of us there and it became quite apparent that we were all in for those tracks everyone else went in before me i was the last one and um they came and collected you one by one so one person would go in the other person would be taken down to the royal room as a as a holding area to kind of take a moment take a breath and that kind of stuff. So everyone came and went, everyone came and went. Everyone was so lovely. And actually we were so different. So it was a really warm, lovely atmosphere that I was very grateful for. I remember going to the Royal Room and thinking, I'm definitely going to go to the toilet here because this will be the poshest loo break I have of my life. And I did. <laughs> I was like, if nothing else, if I get nothing else from this final, I've had a very posh wee. Um, <laughs> and then we got called through. In my head, it was this line of tables with everyone that I had met in all the previous auditions from a, from a panel point of view and about five other people that I'd never met before in my life. At least I didn't remember that I had. And then it turns into a bit of a blur. I think they heard everything for e- each of the tracks, each of the roles they were seeing me for. I must have been in there for a good half hour. I had some lovely redirection from... Seth, who's responsible for all the productions of Phantom now, he was Hal Prince's right-hand man. Hal Prince was the original director. Yeah, and I just kind of did it and ran with it the best that I could. I remember looking up a lot because it's actually quite a high theatre. And I did it and I walked out. I went to Greg's 
and because I had another audition that afternoon. So <laughs> I was going to say, so so coming out onto onto Haymarket, yeah. isn't it? Um, and you went to Greg's. I did. Which, for those of you who are not our listeners in the UK, is a shop that sells pasties and sausage rolls. Yeah. That's your celebration. And how long was it until you knew? Uh, only only four days. I then I went into one of my um, in between jobs from the Tuesday to the Thursday. I was working at a at a, a conference. Long hours. The people who were running the conference were really lovely, actually very chatty, and I spoke a lot about Phantom. I was. Not checking my emails regularly because I'm not allowed to check my phone, but I was checking my emails regularly and trying to do it on the sly. Um, by the time I got to Wednesday or Thursday, I think I was ready to leave the industry completely. I was so beside myself with nerves and anxiety. And I remember a dear, dear friend I was talking to kind of throughout the entire process. I was like, I can't do this to myself anymore. That was a whole thing. And then we got to Friday. I had gone to my therapy appointment, which I believe was at like 1pm. And I kind of thought, okay, we're not going to hear this afternoon. It's lasting on a Friday. I won't hear after this. And I tried to make my peace with that. And I'd kind of unpacked it in my in my therapy session. And I made my way back to the flat. So this is the other thing. On the Monday, I'd finally moved in with my boyfriend after the two auditions, came back to our flat that night. So then on the Friday after my therapy session, I came back to the flat. My boyfriend was there. I was chilling. I think I made a coffee. Chat, 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 chat. I'm not, I'm not going to hear this weekend. This, this side of the weekend is absolutely fine. Blah, 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 blah. And then I looked at my phone. I had a missed call from my agent. And I ran into the bedroom. I didn't talk to him. He was like, what's happening? <laughs> Just bless him. Didn't, he's, not, he's not particularly in the acting world. So it's all a bit new and fascinating to him. The voicemail my agent had left me to said, hi, Sam, can you give me a ring back? That was it. <laughs> and I kind, I kind of had an inkling, but at that point, you never want to run in any direction too fiercely until you know the 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 certainties and then she said oh we've just had um, an availability check through for you and she gave me the dates of the production and i said what and then she stopped me and i burst into tears and at one point my legs gave away because i was on the floor and i don't remember how i got there and it was just uncontrollable sobbing i then walked out to the hallway and my boyfriend was there and he said, please tell me it's good news. And I just fell on him and continued crying. And he kind of maneuvered me to the sofa. And I continued to cry for about the next three hours and called various people that had known that I was going in for it, called mum and dad, called family. Yeah. Even though I was supposed to keep it a secret, I'm the worst. I'm the absolute worst. But yeah, that was, that was the beginning of this journey. That was a very long story. I'm so sorry. But um, yeah. Well, thank you for telling it because it's such a life-changing moment. And I think that other people hearing that who have gone through or going through their own life-changing moments, I think it is really good to hear that's just what it feels like when you've got a decision that is at that point entirely outside your control and you don't know, you don't hear. And then what, if, what does it feel like when one day someone gives you a, a break yeah. and, you know, that of all the breaks in the theatre acting profession, that, that's one of the huge ones, you know, your first West End role in a huge show. So you had to keep it a secret, which didn't do very well. Appalling um, me. <laughs> for a period of time, how long was it a secret? I mean, for me, it was a matter of minutes, but it was supposed to be officially, <laughs> officially it was a secret for months, actually. I think that was in the February yeah. and I don't think we got fully announced until, I think we were mid midway through rehearsals it kept on getting delayed i remember it kept on getting pushed back because mm. announcements have to go through various different people have to sign them off and that kind of stuff and then you don't want to announce when other shows are announcing theirs so yeah we got it got pushed back and pushed back at one point i was like did i get this job or did i dream it but no it was it was a good few months i think it wasn't until well we opened july 31st so it would have been about a couple of weeks before that that we were that we were announced so what do you remember of july 31st Walking up to stage door for that first time, oh. having done your rehearsals. What was that? That like? was crazy. I tell you what, it, it was it was everything because we'd had our we'd done a dress rehearsal on the Friday and it hadn't gone particularly well. I'd missed a couple of changes, so then the one on the Monday went better. So I was in a slightly better headspace. But also, that's a long day. You do the show twice on that Monday. You've done it twice, kind of on the lead up to it. I remember I watched it that Friday night as well. And then on the Saturday, obviously, you want to leave room for the people who are leaving to kind of have their chance to, to say goodbye and that kind of stuff. 
I, I received many cards, many gifts, many flowers. It was really wonderful. I actually had quite a few people in the audience. I'd bought a box for my mum and dad. My boyfriend was there. My agent was there. My two friends that I lived with in my third year at drama school were there. Cousins, other friends from School of Rock, like a lot of people were there. And it was very, very cool. It was, it was, still, it was still a panicky show. I'm much better at it now. Um, than I, than I was when we first opened. I make all my changes now, which is great. I lost my facial hair just before the bow. It had gotten stuck to the back of a bit of costume. And I remember kind of that being a bit of- <laughs> You a, mean your fake My facial fake facial hair, hair to, be, to, to clarify. Yes, there's a lot, of, a lot of taping and gluing that goes on. Luckily, we found it a couple of days later. But- And do you remember the very first time, your first scene- and their debut, and you walk out onto that stage for the first time. Remember what that felt yeah, like? Yeah, I got the words wrong. <laughs> I, had, I had this awful panic before I went on. I thought, what is this first line? And kind of, it was all right. I, get, like, I gave the gist, but it wasn't as precise as I had learned it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. What's fun as well about my first entrance in the show, I, I cut across a scene. So a, a production number is happening, and I, and I scream across it, telling everyone to stop. Yeah, I just remember having to take it all one step at a time. It was very much like hmm. looking into the eyes of people that were new and us both being like, this is amazing, but let's stay focused. And then looking to the people that had stayed on for a second year and kind of being like, help. Um, yeah, it, it was incredible. I, because my ensemble track is quite bitty, I don't get a lot of time to kind of sit and take it in, particularly in the second act. The second act is, manic. if I'm not on stage barking at people, I'm running upstairs to change and then running back down to get on for my next entrance. So a lot of it in the actual show, I didn't really take in. It was just a case of what am I doing next? Where am I going? Where's this change happening? But I do remember standing and still now, actually, this is the moment that I get to take it in. When, when you bow, the bows at Phantom are very ceremonial and it's, it's, it's a lot of kind of standing and looking up. And that was very cool. And I just remember seeing a full His Majesty's Theatre on its feet. And looking over, uh, uh, looking over because mum and dad were very close. I also can't see, my eyesight isn't the best anyway, so I can't really make people out. But I could see uh, mum and dad. And that was very cool. It's emotional. Yeah, very emotional, still. Yeah. Very exciting. How many costume changes do you have? We counted this the other day. I want to say it's about, in my ensemble track, it's about mm, between 10 and 15, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. So, so you are, you're a lot of different characters. You keep... Changing, you took over. I saw you took over the Phantom Instagram account for London um, a few weeks ago, and filming yourself running up and down stairs with different hats yeah. and different wigs and different moustaches and all of that. So it's, it's it's really fun. So bring us back around to unlock moments and choosing happiness and sense of purpose. So since you came on, I think that I've had more conversations with people about. What did you know then in that moment of clarity that you didn't know before? But then when you look back on that time now, what changed for you? So when you think about clarity, when you think about happiness, when you think about purpose, and I read out at the beginning this thing that you, you wrote about, what is purpose to you? That's clear, but it's powerful for you. So when you sit there today and you think, I've been on this journey, I'm, I'm on this journey and I've got these principles around happiness is really important and you know, balance in life and, and all those kinds of things are really important. What does it feel like today? And what do you know now that maybe you didn't know before? I tell you what, I don't know if it's necessarily what I know has changed. It just proves itself to me time and time again about being free from expectations, about if opportunities come your way, grab them and run it may not work out as you want it to but there'll be something along the way there that will then take you to your next step which will then you know i i come back to had i not got phantom i have no doubt that the audition process would have led me to my next step in something within that that's not it might not have been another camera mcintosh show it may it just may have been something a shift within myself i can't tell you what it what it would have been because it hasn't happened but I have no doubt that some, somehow that would have been a steer to my next step, whatever that was supposed to be. That's really interesting because when we were working together and we've talked last time, there was a sense before of I'm doing all these things. I'm doing all the things that I'm 
I'm trying really hard. I feel like I'm trying to do the things that I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not getting the results. And I don't know and I can't see whether this is going to go anywhere. And you said earlier, you were like, I was at a point where maybe I was going to chuck this all in at some point in this journey. What you just said was, at the point that I arrived in that final audition, I knew that I was going to get this or I was going to get something else. Now, one of the most recent interviews that I've done is with an Olympic javelin thrower called Inga Stasilionite. And her unlock moment, she was competing in a two-person javelin competition to win the right to represent Lithuania at the Beijing Olympics. And the other girl had thrown her last javelin and Inga had to hit a certain mark in order to win that face-off effectively and be selected to go to the Olympics. And she said, my unlock moment was standing at the beginning of the runway and I already knew I was going to hit the mark. And then I just threw the javelin. And I went, that's interesting. Yeah. It wasn't when it left my hand, I knew I'd done enough. It was when I was standing at the beginning of my runway, I already knew that I was going to hit the mark. And you've just said, when you got into that place that was you at your absolute flow state best, you knew that you were going to get this role or another one. Before, you never felt like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, big time. And actually, I've never clogged that shift until you said it. And it's a shift from the different... I'm trying to explain the difference. Uh, It's a shift between if not this, oh, well, we'll see. And if not this, something else. And I think that's, it, it's very subtle. It's very different. But it's now a lack of doubt in myself and my abilities, particularly because this audition process was the first time I'd been recalled for a West End show. I'd been in for, I think I, I did a social media post about this. I think I'd been in for two or three others and had been cut the first round. So the fact that I've been recalled that many times, and I say this to the people that I manage and to anyone that will listen, by the time you get to finals in a West End audition, it is not about what you do in the room anymore. You've done all the work. It becomes about the matrix. It becomes about who's leaving, who's okay. They need to play opposite this person. Are they taller? Are they shorter? What's happening? It just becomes about that jigsaw puzzle. And it sucks. (laughs) That doesn't make it any easier when it doesn't go your way, but it is just the nature of the beast. And so to land on the certainties of... If not this, there will be something else. Those, those are kind of the things we need to use to anchor ourselves. Those are the things we need to cling to, to keep us going. And the thing you said there that I think is so powerful is it comes down to a lack of doubt in myself. Yeah. That's really powerful. You're good at this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a lack of doubt in myself. So many people that I talk to now, that I work with, and in all walks of life, and people in big positions of responsibility, senior positions of responsibility, that is an articulation of what they're searching for. Because a lack of doubt in yourself enables you, and we talked a lot about this last time, to be authentically you. From a position now of being in the cast, having the role, being in the show, and you're no longer trying to convince other people to please, please, please give you a job. Do you look at the audition process differently in terms of a different understanding of what they're looking for? Interesting. I think Phantom, in my experience and from what I know of other West End shows, it's it's a little unlike other ones in that they're not looking for a carbon copy of what came before. I'm very, apart from anything else, I'm a very different physical type from the man who did this track before me. I'm sure the next person would be completely different as well. And I was talking to a fellow, a fellow castmate about this. The book I'm reading at the moment, it talks about latitude that you're given. So sometimes in commercial running shows, they are very specific with how lines are said, what actions are done on certain words, et cetera, et cetera. The blocking, it has to be, it's very, very precise. Whereas actually in Phantom, I feel like we're given a lot of latitude you know, as long as you hit your marks, how you get there is kind of up to you to navigate and to have a bit of fun with. This actually links back as well to, we had a note session. Seth is American. He came over, that was a few months ago now, to do notes. He drops in every now and then. And he said about, they, they cast the people. We don't need to do any more because we're good as we are in terms of how we match up with the characters. We then don't need to overly project or, you know, layer things on top of it. 
which inevitably we do because we're actors. We like to play. We like to mix things up a little bit. And so, you know, for someone to come back and say, no, no, you don't need to do that. You can just, you can just be you. Just say the lines. It's okay. It's enough. You're, you are, you are this character that you need to be. So I think it kind of, it actually hammers home to me what I've been saying for years and actually what I've been taught for years in that you can only be you. You can only go in and give your version of these characters. And it's either going to be what they're looking for or it's not. And there's something delightful in that. There is something, I can't change me. I can't grow taller. I can't grow hair. I can't, you know, there's not a lot more I can do to get jobs. I need to go in and, you know, be prepared and do the best I can and give the best impression of myself that I can, taking into the fact that it's incredibly nerve wracking and, you know, everything else that comes with a pressurized situation. But that generally, yeah, I can only be me. And that's quite wonderful to be able to sit back on. You can only be your version of the character and they can choose to like it or not. And that's a conversation I'm having with people all the time about going for job interviews, the way you show up in role. Because everybody shows up to whatever they're doing, whether it's an acting role or a corporate role or something else, and they go, well, I'm trying to do this because I'm supposed to do this. Or I think that that's what they're looking for, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then sometimes when they're in the role, they look back and go, no, they hired me to be me. I was talking to somebody very recently and they said, when I arrived in the role, I was quite bold and not everybody liked it. And now I'm thinking about, was I too bold? And actually the answer was, no, they hired you to be bold because in your words, that's their version of the character. Yeah. And if they showed that at interview in the interview process, then that's what they got selected for. And if you show up and then go, well, I think that I'm supposed to be a shrinking violet, you know, what you really want to know is what did they hire you for? And as you've described, they hired you to be your version of that character. And your job isn't to go on stage and try to be somebody else's. Yeah. That's so interesting. And, and I, one of the reasons why I really enjoy having actors and performers on the podcast is because your experience of showing up in audition and on stage it's what everybody else is doing in a non-acting environment they're also auditioning and on stage just doesn't feel like that all the time but you are i think more expert than your average job seeker because you know you're doing it all the time you know you're having auditions all the time you are trying to convince quite a small group of people from a large pool of talent that you are the one that they want and managing that sort of mindset and, and keeping sane through that journey, I think, is, is an incredible challenge. And I, and I have the utmost respect for actors and your ability to, to stick with it through that period. And, you know, we've known each other through the downs and the ups of, of that kind of journey. You touched on keeping sane. I don't think I always do, just to clarify. <laughs> but that's a constant journey and navigation. Mm, tell me more. Um, I think it is the thing about you can only go with what you got in that moment. And if in that moment I'm losing it completely, then I've learned how to navigate that. And I call on people and I, you know, I'm very fortunate to have friends and therapists who let me talk it out and rationalize it to the point where I've either rationalized it and minimized it that I can manage it, or I don't feel like I can rationalize it anymore and I just need to leave it and walk away from it. Yeah. And there's a good life lesson. Yeah, yeah. I think the sanity, the, the management aspect, I never want to belittle. I never want to make it look like it comes easily or just because I've been doing this now for about 12 years, which makes me feel old. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make it any easier. I've just had more practice at managing it. So I know how to do that. And you say fortunate, but it's not by accident. It's true. That you've curated the right group of people. What? characterizes the kind of people who are in your inner circle of the people that help you in the difficult times i thought space space is the biggest one giving me space to scream and rant and talk and without without jumping into pacify straight away just kind of letting me sound it out and talk myself in circles people who can laugh yeah, I think the space is the biggest one. And obviously, there's a kindness there. And actually, an honesty, an honesty of, I don't have time for this now. Let's, let's book in a, a lunch or, you know, voice note it to me. I will listen to this when I can, so that I don't feel like I'm taking up 
space that they can't give me. But also I think it's got to be a, a reciprocal relationship in that way. I want to do it for other people as well. And we touched on some of my core values being authenticity and transparency, and those things really mean a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the general, that's the general vibe of my inner circle that I'm lucky to have curated. Sorry, not lucky. <laughs> Who gets to do the brutal honesty when you need a bit of brutal honesty? Are you asking for a person? <laughs> no, a, a role. Um, it depends on what the honesty is for. If it's, if it's career-based, sometimes it will be my agents, but actually it's, they're not my therapists. It's not, it's not their job to listen to me on the phone for half an hour. It's no one's job, but actually, you know, in terms of my agents, you know, that is a business transaction as much as I love them and I really appreciate them and all the way they do for me. So it will be people kind of in the thick of it who understand the industry and can give me those brutal, brutally honest answers that I usually know are coming, but I just need to hear from someone else. If it's in terms of relationships, it'll be people that have known me for a long time, that have seen me through many different relationships. In terms of my romantic relationship, it will be Liam. We are getting better at brutal honesty, which doesn't mean being rude. It just means articulating very clearly how we're feeling in those moments, what we need. Yeah, so it really does depend. When people listen back to that first episode and they hear your unlock moment was encapsulated in this choice of I choose success or I can choose happiness and I choose happiness. When you look back with the benefit of hindsight, how much did that moment drive or enable or fuel what's happened since? Oh, so much. Entirely. Um, a thing that comes to mind now is that happiness is an absolute. I'm either happy or I'm not. Of course, th there is room to be more happy, of course. But in terms of when I'm making decisions... It's, is this making me happy, yes or no? Whereas success, there's always the question of, well, how successful? How am I measuring that success? Success according to who? So to give myself that quite rigid barometer for, <laughs> for happiness and therefore decision-making, it's, it's made life a lot easier. And like I say, it's kind of liberated me to go after the happiness what has come with that as a byproduct which is actually what we kind of spoke about that happiness is, does not mean the absence of success but the success has come as a byproduct to me chasing my happiness one of the girls i was on tour with in school of rock will tell you i'm the king of manifestation now i think that's a very tricky word and i instead of manifestation i i prefer speaking with purpose and speaking with intent because at the end of School of Rock, I said, I want to make my West End debut and I would like it to be in a long running show. And if they'll have me, I'd like to be there for a while because I've worked very hard to be there and I'm happy just to sit and enjoy for a while within a matter of months. That is what happened. But that's because, and we touched on this when we were talking earlier before we started recording, that's because the sitting in the long run, should that be granted to me, will enable happiness in other areas. Me and my boyfriend are looking to buy a place that's ours together. Uh, he's not having to follow me across the country or across the world. You know, there's a, there's a lot of good that's coming as a byproduct of this show. And I'm very grateful for it. Did I answer the original question? I'm so sorry, I got distracted. You did. It was very okay, good. Great. We'll cut this bit out. <laughs> Again, again, we're keeping it in. <laughs> For the people who are listening to this podcast in all walks of life and in now over 100 countries around the world, what's one thing you'd like them to take away from this conversation? Last episode, I spoke about sitting in uneasiness and uncertainty and how that can feel. I think the one thing I'd like people to take away from this episode is to understand that, as we said, once you make those breakthroughs, 
the liberation, the joy, the happiness, the peace that I have found is indescribable. And when I think of myself, my outlook, my general feeling about life before I had my unlock moment to now, that difference is huge. And so I suppose if anything, I kind of want to be a poster child for really sitting in that uneasiness and that uncertainty because it does work. Yeah. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Uh, your best bet is to find me on Instagram. I am at Samuel.Horton. Horton is H-A-U-G-H-T-O-N dot four two. I have a lovely website, which is SamuelHorton.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Samuel Horton. Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For West End actor Samuel Horton, it was intentionally choosing happiness over success that unlocked a balanced and fulfilled life and his greatest career achievements to date, appearing on stage in the cast of Phantom of the Opera here in London's West End. If you're in London, get yourself tickets to see Sam in Phantom at His Majesty's Theatre and find him on social media. Sam, it's been such a privilege to have you back. You really are an inspiration. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Unlock Moment. Thank you for having me. If you've taken something from this conversation with a person who intentionally made choices to find happiness and fulfillment, then check out episode 77 with master storyteller Todd Churches on how his horrible bosses inspired a brilliant communicator. And if you resonated with the idea of showing up in the audition room and delivering your unique, authentic performance, then check out episode 37 with Justin Zorn and Lee Mars on finding the inner silence when you're in a state of flow. And episode 55 with Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown on how to influence people through authenticity. Bookmark these episodes for later. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.